Hello everyone and uh, welcome. I'm back in London. I've returned and have access to my superior recording equipment. I'd like to say hello to everyone listening from over 30 countries now, including Russia, Germany, the UK, Saudi, Iran, Hong Kong, Ireland and Norway. I'm keen to get you all involved as much as possible in the EdTech podcast. So please do send your comments and questions to the EdTech podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at podcast edtech or follow us on instagram and facebook i'm especially keen to find out what you like what you don't like so much um, where you listen and uh, who you'd also like on the show in a couple of weeks i'll be attending edtech europe and if you go to at podcast edtech on twitter you can vote for who you would like me to interview um, at the event so Um, Check out www.edtechxeurope.com, have a look at the speakers listed and also if you'd like to attend and get 40% off the ticket price then don't forget to use the exclusive podcast discount code which is ETE16, EDTECHPD, so that's all capitals. ETE 16 EdTech PD. Finally, Infant School ICT coordinator Louise Stone runs an amazing podcast which you can follow on Twitter at My Live School. So the podcast is entirely run by digital learners from her school and is up for nomination for the New Media Awards Community Podcast of the Year. Um, if you'd like to help support their cause, you can go to at L underscore S underscore Stone and there you can help retweet and nominate them to win. So if you like the idea of launching a podcast for your own school or education community, keep listening. This week we speak to MFL Twitterati godfather Joe Dale. Joe has been tweeting, blogging and podcasting since 2006. And in this episode, find out how to make instant podcasts which enhance student learning and language skills. Also, find out the answers to the questions, what is app smashing? Will Mandarin take over from French? Are exchange programmes dead? And will the education revolution be podcasted? So um, I'm here at the uh, Bajan's Rest in Newport on the Isle of Wight and I'm sat opposite MFL Twitterati Joe Dale and we're here to talk about podcasting and education and catch up about some um, serendipitous uh, connections with regards to edtech and I guess education on the Isle of Wight. So um, so Joe, we were just speaking about how you've been podcasting for quite a while. Um, before we kick off, are you able to sort of say you know, what your connection is to modern foreign languages and also to, you know, what what your role is essentially now, what you get up to these days as well. Okay. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm really um, flattered to be invited on on any podcast, but this one is is particularly enjoyable and I'm loving the kit we've got in front of us. Obviously, as you're listening, you you won't know this amazing microphone I've got in front of me, but it's absolutely lovely and so I'm loving this. So, (laughs) yeah, so I I was a languages teacher myself um, for 13 years. I taught for... Uh, three years at secondary level, um, two years in North Wales, which is where I did my PGCE in the late 90s, or mid, middle, middle 90s, and then I um, had a year in Somerset uh, in Yeovil, and then I decided to, when I saw the job on the Isle of Wight, I thought, oh, I've never been to the Isle of Wight before, I'll have to go, had the interview. It was, a, it was a, another sunny day, like today, actually. It's always sunny on the Isle of Wight. Of course, every day's a holiday on the Isle of Wight. And um, yeah, I got the job, and I had an uh, incredibly happy 10 years teaching at a middle school 
on the Isle of Wight teaching French. So, um, so just to uh, butt in there, so the, the funny thing about that is, um, so I was researching podcasts and education when I decided to set this one up, and I came across Joe's podcast, which includes um, episodes from Bet in 2008, I believe. And um, then I came across the fact that Joe was actually based on the Isle of Wight, so I thought this is you know too good to be true because I have family here, so um, hence us meeting today. But I've recently just found out that, so Joe uh, used to teach French at the middle school that I attended. So he took over from my French teacher, which was quite astounding work. Indeed. Yeah, that, so that was very, very amusing when we discovered that a minute ago. But then that's, that's how, that's how things, things, things can happen. It's just one of those things, I suppose. Uh, and also on the Isle of Wight, lots of people know each other. I wouldn't say everyone knows each other, but lots of people know each other. So particularly, and when you're in the teaching profession... Uh, and you're teaching, let's say, languages or whatever subject, then probably other teachers who teach the same subject in other schools will know who you are. So it's, it is a very um, a close-knit community, which is lovely. So, so yeah, so a note here, that's why I developed an interest in uh, the use of technology and how it can enhance language learning. Um, and I started, I started podcasting back in 2006. Um, I think I was probably one of the first language teachers at the time from, from England to uh, start podcasting. I know that... There were people like John Johnson and, and Ewan McIntosh from Scotland that were podcasting probably, um, well, 2005, I would say. I think that that's when they started. I think there's some some debate on who exactly was the first person, but anyway, we'll leave that to them. Um, but yeah, so I was I was podcasting in 2006. I just, I love the idea of being able to uh, promote listening and speaking skills in languages through podcasting. And uh, having done that a lot in, in, the, in the classroom to, to start off with, I could see real benefits from point of view of say improving pronunciation the whole recording and editing process with um, audacity which is what we're using at the time they were able to listen again and again and again to the target language so it's absolutely fantastic uh, and it was something that they enjoyed doing it was fun and we we published the podcast um, i remember doing a podcast series with um, my year sevens and my year eights uh, in 2007 i think it was so it was a year after i first started uh, and that, that's still available, kids, <laughs> on uh, nodehillfrench.podomatic.com. And what we did, uh, we, I basically decided on like, the format of, of the shows. And each person, uh, so each small group, they got themselves into small groups of, say, two or three or four in some cases. They did an introduction. They did the, um, the presentation of, a, of grammar. It was to do with making um, grammar exciting by doing a podcast about it. And it was, it was great that they wrote their script, first of all. So it very much um, embedded the understanding of how to, to form the different points of grammar that we were looking at. They were able to put that together. So they did the, the introduction, the presentation of the different, whatever the grammar point that they'd chosen, and then they did, they did a little quiz, and they could make up their own quiz format. But that was fantastic. So they would, they would ask a question, give a pregnant pause for you to sort of give you some thinking time to then answer it and then give you the answer. And that worked brilliantly. And they just really enjoyed it. And I just loved hearing all the different... Uh, children's voices on the podcast and it just sounded great and so once we've done all that um I, I put a bit of a backing track um in the background and we put it up onto podomatic which at the time uh, there weren't that many sites out there where you could host uh, for free there was podomatic and podbean and um there were places like libsyn but i think you had to pay at that point so i decided to go for podomatic and i was very happy with that and uh, and as i said it's still available so you can still hear those lovely uh, children um talking about how to form the perfect tense uh, with avoir and things like that so yeah and for um teachers who are listening now 
would you still recommend podcasting? And I, I think we were just talking about a particular course that you went on that was really encouraging in terms yeah. of are there events or things like that that you think you would suggest to sort of help fuel that ambition and teachers to continue to use this model? Yeah. I think I think personally I think podcasting is amazing for for learning in general um, but particularly for modern foreign languages and the reasons that I've just described already but I think it's been really interesting that compared to let's say back in 2006 when it wasn't as obvious on how to get started with podcasting there wasn't as much um, um, content out there to sort of help you get started there was I mean YouTube had only just started what 2005 so there weren't like the slew of of tutorials you can get now on Audacity and all the rest of it. I remember back in the day listening to a BBC um, uh, website or, or, or show to do with how to get started with podcasting and education. By there was um, a, a journalist there who sadly has passed away now. Um, he used to appear on the BBC a lot, but it was really good. And it went through step by step. He just listened to each recording uh, and then had a play and worked out how to use Audacity and all the rest of it. Uh, whereas nowadays with with apps and what have you it's it's just very easy now to get to get going but what i've what i find in a way disappointing is even though i think podcasting is is fantastic it just hasn't had the uptake in education that i was expecting i thought i mean talking about the the event that we just we were talking about just then that was podcamp uk back in 2007 and that was in it was in birmingham and there were probably about 50 or 60 or, or have you people there of which only a handful were from education. But I remember about, they were talking, that it was the second year that they'd done this event, and they were talking about the year before, about, you know, the podcasting, it was going to be like a revolution, mm-hmm. we're going to take over the world, and it just hasn't happened. I mean, with, with, um, with, with um, podcasts like Serial, which mm. has been, has proven to be incredibly popular recently, I'm not, to be honest, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I've never actually listened to an episode of it. But anyway, I have, because I, I have a... Um, a, a podcasting Google alert on, uh, on my email. So whenever uh, there's interesting stories about podcasting, I'll hear about it. Particularly interested in educational podcasting, and it's it's. With, I've heard lots of stories about serial, you know, um, showing an indication of the new wave of podcasting and how podcasting is ha- having, you know, a second wind or what have you. But in education, yeah, there, there are pockets of amazing practice um, in the UK that I've come across and I've listened to, and I've listened to many, many different educational podcasts, but. It just hasn't taken off in the way that I thought mm. it would. It seems to me that what young people are particularly interested in is is video more than audio. Even though I think audio is a is almost a bit forgotten in education, and audio is so powerful. And some some children are a lot less self conscious when they're recording mm. audio compared to video. And it, does my hair look nice and all the rest of it? And I know you know I've been there, done that, and I know you know, or, or just hearing their voice for the first time, some children find that a bit weird. But I think. The, 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 the potential of, as I said already, promoting listening and speaking skills or in a wider context for audio feedback. And there's been a lot of research uh, done over the years um, in various universities. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, particularly in Sheffield University, there was an event um, about, particularly about audio feedback and how it can be useful. And again, I think audio feedback is another way of using audio um, in a powerful way. But I just don't know that many, that many teachers that are using it, really. And are there, are there any um, education podcasts that you would recommend people listen to? Um, I think that the first and foremost, the, the one that everyone should definitely listen to is called EduTalk, yeah. which is John Johnson and David Noble. And they've been running this for years. Uh, and it's not just about... Well, they, they do sort of live shows. I've been on a few times and they do like interviews and that sort of thing. But um, they also encourage people to 
uh, send in their audio, which again I think is amazing. It's this whole idea of you know community of practice um, or guerrilla podcasting. I think is a term that that John uh, coined, which I love. Uh, or citizen uh, citizen uh, uh, radio, I think it's called as well. Same sort of idea. So people can record a bit of audio as an MP3 file and just send it through to um, EduTalk and they'll, and they'll publish it. And so there's, there's hours and hours and hours and hours of content on there for all, you know, all tastes. Um, but most of them, well, lo- lots of the audio recordings are interviews and they're just they're fascinating. I, mean, I, don't, I don't listen to every single one, but I would say probably every week or every couple of weeks there's a new interview on there. So again, I subscribe to um, RSS. So that, I think that's another issue as well with RSS. For those people that don't know what that means, it's really simple syndication. And I think even though it is simple, it's confusing to lots of people, I think. Or, or, or maybe with, with sites like Google Reader, which then uh, closed down and, and um, probably the most recommended RSS reader from there uh, that, that sort of came in its wake uh, is Feedly, which is the one I, I use um, all the time. And with Feedly, you don't really need to know about RSS feeds. You just need to... Uh, do a search for the name of the podcast and it will come up. So I think this whole idea of explaining to people back in the early days when I was doing a presentation on what, what podcasting was, you know, what's an RSS feed, how do you subscribe to an RSS feed, how do you submit a podcast to iTunes, which wasn't as straightforward, quite a few different steps. Whereas I think a lot of that has been taken away now and it's just so easy to use um, a service like Audio Boom or iPadio or those sorts of non-edit podcast you can just record something and publish it online very very easily um, and then all you need to do is as I said go to say Feedly write in the name of the podcast and it will then come up um, and also on YouTube there are so many how-to guides on how to do these sorts of things whereas back in 2006-2007 there just wasn't that same support so I think it's it's really interesting how it's how it's changing but yeah I'm genuinely disappointed that, that we haven't seen a revolution in podcasting and education that I thought we were going to see. It just hasn't happened. And is that one of the reasons, I mean, how come you stopped podcasting in the end? Um, well, uh, uh, the reason I stopped podcasting and blogging in general is just from the, the time point of view, yes. that when I became an independent languages consultant, <laughs> I just I didn't have as much time to, um, to, to podcast and to, to blog that I would have liked to have done. But having said that, what I used to do, particularly with the with the podcast interviews that I would do, they would take a lot of time. So in other words, first of all, you'd have to research the person. You'd know the person already, but obviously you want to make sure that it's professional and you ask people good questions, etc. So you'd have to do quite a lot of research and make notes. And, and um, I mean, um, more recently, when I've been asked to appear on podcast shows, you, you'd say create a Google Doc and collaborate. But I think Google Docs weren't around in, I can't remember when they first came out anyway. So I would just, you know, do all that, on, probably on paper, actually. So then you'd, you'd do all your research which depending on the person, depending on how long that would take, you then do the, the podcast, which could easily take, let's say, an hour. Some, some of my podcasts are like an hour and a half, which is a bit silly, really. I think this is going to be about 20 minutes, <laughs> which is probably a much better length. But I, was, I suppose I was so passionate about it, I just wanted to carry on and record. And I said, yeah, people are going to listen to an hour and a half of audio, no problem. Which, no, I think probably but 20... I think that's one yeah. of the <laughs> good points of a podcast, that you can... It, there is no time limit in, in principle in the beginning, and some of the interesting stuff comes out after that first half an hour. Yeah. So you can always edit it, edit yeah. it down, but it, you don't have the time pressures of, say, live radio... And that kind of thing yeah so. absolutely and, and I think that's one of the big things about comparing say podcasting with um with, with radio because when we talk, when I went to the podcast UK uh, event they kept talking about podcasting is like radio or is podcasting like radio and I never thought of it like that I, I just thought of it as a separate thing 
recording audio, having a conversation, interviewing, etc. But I never thought about uh, about radio. And I think some people, the reason that some people like podcasting is because, as you just said, they don't have the same constraints of, as you would have if you're on the radio and you have to, you know, you've got to say all you all you need to say, almost like sound bites within mm. say five minutes or can't swear or, 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 or stuff like that. Well, yeah, I mean as well. But yeah, just going back to the whole preparation. So you do you would do the recording. I would use um different pieces of software at the, at the time that would split the audio into two separate channels on Skype or I'd do things face to face so I was going to a conference and I'd record some something live but it's much better in a way to do it over Skype because then if you have each person has a separate channel it means you can edit each individually and again I had to learn how to do that and um, there's a guy called Andy White who I've met who's based in Brighton who's um, not to do with education at all but he he's you know he's really into podcasting and I think he was doing a podcasting book at one point so I listened to all his sorts, his sorts of shows, and he showed me how to do things like split the audio in two, and how to edit things separately, and, and how to um, and how to uh, if you had a podcast recording uh, with a piece of software like uh, I, I first started off with um, a piece of software called Pretty May, and then I went onto a piece of software called Pamela, which is what I still use now. And he showed me that when you record, one channel is directly on the left and one channel is directly on the right. And he showed me how to mix them in the middle, which made it sound much better. So you didn't have one voice in one ear and one voice in the other ear. You had both of them sort of more towards the middle of your head, which was, which was much better, sounded much better. So, I was, so those sorts of little tips that I picked up at Podcamp UK... Um, I've used ever since and, and it's wonderful and then and then of course the editing so once you the editing can take hours if depending on if, how much perfectionist you are I've edited a lot of my own ums and ahs out of the yeah. podcast <laughs> yeah and, and you know I could easily spend five hours doing that and so even though I absolutely loved all those shows and I'm very very proud of, uh, of the, all those interviews and, and to listen back to those people talking about what they were doing back in 2007 to whenever it was when I when I when I stopped um, it is just a great insight. So I'm very very proud of the blog. It's just I just feel at the moment I haven't got time even to, to yeah. actually just write blog posts, let alone do so, podcasts. So, so what is it now that you do for those people who aren't aware? Okay, so since 2009, I decided to to go to do what I was doing part time while I was still teaching and being head of department for the last three years as well, full time, um, which essentially is going around the world as you do um, speaking at conferences and running training so I've been to places like Australia uh, four times in fact I'm planning a trip to Australia at the moment for July of this year um, I've been to Southeast Asia many times I've been to sort of Bangkok and Kuala Lumpur and uh, uh, and Hong Kong and Seoul I've been to North America um, I've run training in Canada a couple of times I've spoken at conferences in uh, in the States uh, I went to South America two years ago when the World Cup was almost obviously a nightmare, awful, the day before the final. So I was able to... to I didn't watch the game. Is it the, the Germany actual, game? I, I, didn't, I saw that when I was in a hotel a couple of days beforehand um, on the TV. But, you know, I was able to, to watch it on TV in Brazil, in Rio, and uh, through the window I could actually see the... Um, Brazilians uh, crying. It, and the, the, <laughs> the, the, famous, the famous statue, which is the Cocovado in, uh, in Portuguese. Uh, so the Christ and Redeemer statue, anyway, and they they actually lit it up in the um, in the colours um, of Germany at the end, which is very cool. Anyway, so that was that was great, and uh, or the Middle East as well. So yeah, so and so, which are some of the the main events that you uh, you go and speak at? Um, well, in in languages in, in the UK, I've spoken at all the major languages language um, events, such as Language World, uh, the Language Show in London. I've done many many times. Uh, I've been, as as you know, I've been to Bet a couple of times as well. So I can at that the event in 
uh, Australia. I've, I've spoken at the National Languages Conference in Australia twice, so that's called the A AFMLTA. So, so that's every two years. So I, I spoke at it in 2015 and 2013. Um, uh, in the States, I've, spoke, I've spoken twice at the ACFL conference, which is the American Council of Teaching of Foreign Languages. Um, that's every year. And how would you say the approach to or the progress with pedagogy behind uh, modern foreign languages has differs in each of those regions? If you yeah. were to sort of okay, well, one of my one of my passions. Those people that know me know that I'm sort of I suppose the creator of the MFL Twitterati, which is a community of um, language teachers, language consultants, and um, language associations in the UK and, and in Ireland. And through that community, which has over three thousand seven hundred members. Um, we've been able to share good practice over many years and the, the community I suppose officially started in about 2008 but when I was still at Node Hill for, from 2006 to 2008 I organised what we call the Isle of Wight Conference at Node Hill and that was when I was a Specialist Schools and Academies Trust lead practitioner so as part of that I was supposed to organise um, a, a big event so I thought I'll do a mini conference as you do and in, I mean it was it was mini the first year we had about 40 people the is second year Is that the year. one you had Drew Buddy at? Yep, that's yeah, right, in so 2008. I, I, that's one of the uh, podcasts yeah. I listen to, actually. Yeah. Because I know Drew through uh, Teach Me at Bet. Yeah, at well, Drew, Drew's a legend, and uh, I've known I've known Drew for yeah for many years, and he, he was very kind and came down. And In fact, it was really, in lots of ways, Drew was talking of Drew. Drew was pivotal, really, on kick-starting the whole MFL Twitterati, in a way, at that event, at the 2008 Isle of Conference, because... Up until that point, I mean, Twitter, I joined Twitter in 2007. Twi um, I mean, officially it started in 2006, but there weren't that many people on Twitter at that time. So the face-to-face -face meeting together at the conference was great, but, but uh, even at that time, I think Drew was following about 5,000 people or something mad like that anyway. And uh, he really encouraged everyone to start tweeting. He did say to me that actually having the hashtag IOW Conference 08 was quite a long hashtag for if you only had 140 characters in your tweet, which I thought was quite amusing. So I, I took that on board and, and everything. And also talking about John Johnson, who I've mentioned already a couple of times, he actually, before these, these dates of like, uh, uh, the, like the Twitter walls that you can get now, he actually coded um, a, a, like, a, a web, uh, like a web service for me, which allowed us to display the tweets. And if you go back to my Flickr account, which again, I've not updated for a long time, you, you can see pictures of, of that, that, um, that web page and so we would put them put that on like the TVs in in the hall so people could see uh, what people are tweeting about and also I did like a little video clip of like a compilation of the best tweets which was just yeah so it was really 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 early days and this whole idea of a back excuse me of a back channel of, of having a Twitter back channel that was really well I, I was one of the first first people to get involved with that so going back to your you know how is this how are we looking at pedagogy across the world I think the great thing about the MFL Twitterati and there are other groups in other countries for example in America they have the Langchat community but I would say that that the MFL Twitterati is is a larger community and also um, more dynamic in a way and the fact well the fact that we, we're literally talking about things on a daily basis I think that's a great way of being able to see how um, how the technology is not just about technology but how the technology can um, improve pedagogy and it's very much people are very much focused on the pedagogy and how that can be improved by technology as well as other ideas and there's been there's been lots of um uh, tweets recently about uh, well someone will tweet something about um uh, something they're doing in their classroom and sometimes that will absolutely take off and people will really get excited about it and that can go viral or well, viral in the sense of it can go around sort of language teachers all over the world because there are lots of people that follow 
the MFL Twitter RT hashtag, which has been has been used globally for years now. Um, and do you have like a tweet chat, or, or do you just well, we tend don't to really. just we use do. it daily? So you do yeah, it that way. There are there have been people that have tried to do like an MFL chat, but to be honest, I mean, and that has that has been nice and having like a, like an hour focused conversation. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, we just sort of do, it do that all the time anyway, really. Yeah. So. If, so what I like about it is the way that if someone has a question, I can retweet that. And then, because um, I've got like 18,000 followers now, I think I'm probably, again, got the most followers in it from someone with an MFL background in the world, probably. Um, but anyway, that's which is quite nice. And it's, so it means that people sometimes will ask me to retweet a, a question. I will then put it out there. And then probably there'll be someone who will know the answer who will be like a, maybe the, the expert in the field, as it were, in relation to that. So... What's really good about it is that you've got people who are NQTs, you've got people who are uh, standard language teachers and heads of department, you've also got people at primary, secondary and tertiary, and I've yeah. deliberately curated it in that way through the MFL Twitterers list that I, that I manage um, in order to, to do that. So it's, it's languages from all perspectives, really, um, which is amazing. And it's, I wouldn't like to say how many hours I've spent on doing that, but it's, it's yeah, we're, we're leading the world, really, on the use of social media amongst language teachers uh, essentially and it's and it's just absolutely fantastic yeah and for everyone listening I, i'm sure one of their main hopes out of the podcast is to find out you know are there particular tools or apps or um resources that you recommend for anyone involved in mfl as well okay well i think from the point of view of let's say using um um, iPads. I think there are lots of there are lots of podcasting tools which are very useful. I think for for speaking, listening. Well, for example, so um, a really simple one to start off with, if you have a, a, an iPad or an iPhone, is uh, the Opinion uh, podcasting app, which has like a red background with a little face with a little speech bubble. It's very very simple. You just um, you just start your, your recording. You can then uh, make cuts vertically, which is really nice. So you so in say Audacity or in normal um, uh, wave editors you have the, uh, the the track appearing horizontally but in opinion it's vertically you then literally push your finger up the track to, to move your way through the track press the scissors it makes a lo- lo- lovely little scissor click as well which is great and then you just you can just cut your recording up and then you can also change the order of the recording so you could do so when I've been presenting about this in training I've been showing people how easy it is to say record a dialogue and then just change the order of the questions and the answers and, and make sure they and put them back into the and then but then the second person would say put those back into the correct okay, order. Okay. You can also publish what you've done uh, onto, uh, onto Opinion. So you get um, a web space called madewithopinion.com automatically when you register for free. I'm not sure if there's a limit on how much you can, record, how much you can upload to that um, podcast. But Wes Fryer, um, that I mentioned when we were talking before we started recording, um, his wife, Shelley Fryer, off the back of me talking about opinion and I've done it on my YouTube channel which is Jodale 100 I've done a couple of like tutorials on how to use things like opinion and, and my favourite app at the moment for podcasting is Boss Jock Junior which is fantastic amazing um, Shelley uh, started creating a, a podcast from her classroom using opinion so uh, I've, I've done like a dummy one which is jodale.madewithopinion.com so once you've made your recording, you've edited it, you can then just publish it um, online, which is which is fantastic. And also you can bring in audio from somewhere else into Opinion and publish that on the Opinion podcast. So um, as I just mentioned, I just talked about Bostock Jr., which if you haven't heard about it, is phenomenal. Um, so it's based on the... It's like the stripped-down version from Bostock Studio, which I think is seven or eight pounds. And um, But Bostock Jr. is free and you have 20 carts, you can import audio into each cart or record it live. Uh, you can add in music as well. There's a guy called uh, Andre Louis, 
His real name is Freaky Foof, as you do. Sorry, other way around. His real name is Andre Louis. His Twitter handle is Freaky Foof. And he has created some musical tracks in Bostrock Junior, which you can download for free, which are rights free, which is what you want in an educational context. So I started tweeting about this in August of last year um, at a folk festival, actually, in Sidmouth. And I was saying, oh, this is an amazing app, this is fantastic. I can't, it's amazing this is free, it's just wonderful. And um, he contacted me saying, oh, you know, would you like to, for me to send you a folder of, um, uh, of other rights-free tracks that you could use for free in Bostock Junior? And I said, oh, yes, of course. So he did that, and he's been more than happy for me to share that with other people from, from other, you know, when I've been doing training on this. So as a result of that, you, it's literally hundreds of tracks that you can legally put in. So... For, for promoting listening and speaking skills, I was, I've been showing people how they can uh, um, tap on, say, a music cart, starts playing the music, they can hold their finger down on the microphone, it ducks the music automatically underneath their vocal, so it means that um, um, the, the vocal is more pronounced, which is what you want in, in, in languages or in general in education. Um, and then you can uh, you can add little um, uh, like segues, like stings, um, and I got those from a, a, an app called Launchpad, um, but again, I've included those within the, the Dropbox folder. So in Launchpad, you can just you can have little sound effects. You can record those and then export them to either via email or, or to Dropbox. Then pull them into to Bostrock Junior. So yeah, I've been able to show people how they ki- they could make their own radio show. Whereas compared to say using Audacity, I'm not saying I think I find Audacity pretty easy, but it's quite a learning curve to lots of people. Um, and so now with those sorts of rights-free tracks, the ease of use with um, without such as Opinion and, and Bostrock Junior. There's also one called Ferrite Recording Studio, which is probably the, the closest app to, say, Audacity. Um, it's just so much easier nowadays. So th- there's no excuse, people. You know, you should all be getting out there podcasting and education. It's, uh, it's you wonderful. You just officially had your um, wrist slapped, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> awesome. And what do you think of, like, these apps, popular apps, so things like uh, Busu and Duolingo and that kind of thing from a more uh, direct-to-consumer base as well? Absolutely. So I think there's, there's two ways of, w- of using technology in relation to improving monoforeign languages. There's the, sort of the creative side, the sort of, the, the, the side I've sort of mentioned, and there's lots of other apps you could have on the creative side as well. Um, if you haven't heard of Adobe Voice, that's a, my top tip for if you have iPads. Adobe Voice is fantastic. But there's also that sort of rigorous, mechanistic, boring, if you like, grammar practice or vocab practice that you need to do as well um, in order to, to, to get that side of things sorted. So you need to have that sort of creativity, fluency, speaking work, but you also need to have that mechanistic, rigorous grammar practice. So um, in a secondary or primary school context, um, I would recommend uh, Memorize. Memorize is fantastic. In fact, I was doing some training in Hertfordshire yesterday on Memorize. So I've been um, hanging out with the Emerge Education lot quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Memorize, the founder, is uh, sort of associated or mentoring other companies that are going through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ben Watley, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and he's a lovely guy as well. And uh, we we first had a Skype chat um, a while ago because I did did a little presentation at a teach meet that they had at... um, at the Memorise headquarters, which is an awesome place in London, and it's sort of... Uh, Whereabouts is that in London? Uh, it's near, that's a very good question, it's near Bethnal Green, if okay. I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's just like, a, yeah, it's just like a, a very creative space. They're, they're very creative people, and I've met, um, I've also met Olivia uh, from Memorise as well, and um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're just re- all really, really into what they're doing, and so I, I think Memorise is fantastic. I know that Duolingo is also very popular, 
um, amongst language teachers. So again, through the MFL Twitterati, having this sort of filter of what's going out, you know, cap, uh, what's going what's going on at the moment, capturing the zeitgeist, if you like. I actually called a presentation, capturing the zeitgeist. What's new in the world of technology and education? Uh, so world of technology and languages. By by reading tweets through the MFL Twitterati, you get a very good picture of what are the most popular apps and tools out there. So I would say, hand on heart, um, Duolingo and Memorize the most popular services. I don't know people using Boozoo at all at secondary primary level and my impression is it's more for adult learners but um, certainly Memorise and Duolingo are very popular. I also met um, Joe from Outjam. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes with I know yeah. Well. Um, yeah so I, I was at um, IATEFL, the IATEFL conference in Birmingham um, a couple of weeks ago it was in, it was in April and I, um, yeah. In fact, I know. I, I do. Yeah. I do know. It's Jonathan, I, isn't it? It's Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I live in Hackney Wick, and okay. he works in in that area as well. Yeah, so it's very funny nice how man. you end up like yeah. uh, having uh, meetings like this. Yeah. Very <laughs> nice man. So I met him in 2013 at at because I'd been invited to go up there and take part in the pre-conference event. So I did like an hour-long presentation. That's where I met. Um, in fact, he wrote a blog post about it. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. I think he, he, he found my, my style quite uh, full-on, let's say. I think he called it the tech apagans or something like that anyway. <laughs> but um, but he, very nice man. And yeah, every, every year since then, we've, we've uh, had chats with each other and what have you. So yeah, he used to work with Boozoo. I'm not sure. He doesn't work. He works with ELT Jam now, but he used to work with Boozoo. And um, yeah, my impression is it's more uh, an adult audience rather than um, aimed at young people. Mm. Okay, cool. Um What's app smashing? <laughs> okay, <clears throat> again, app smashing is something which I've been into uh, for the last couple of years. It's a, it's a term coined by a guy called Greg Kulawick, who is a former history teacher uh, who now works with an organisation called EdTech Teacher. And they do a, um, an event every um, six months or so in either Boston or San Diego. And I think the first one was 2013. And um, I met um, uh, Greg. I, went, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to go to Boston and to go to um, this event called the iPad Summit USA. And, um, and I'm quite tall. I'm nearly six foot two. And he's a few inches taller than me. So he's a very tall man. <laughs> but he really, really knows his stuff. And he... He, he coined this expression app smash and there were other people as well that, that there's a lady called Lisa Johnson who came up with this idea of app synergy and then the, the idea of workflow has always always been there but app smashing has absolutely taken off um, and what it is it's, it's, it's essentially when you you use a number of different apps in conjunction with each other to add different layers on, on a final multimedia outcome. So instead of trying to do everything on the one app, which is, let's say in the past, back, let's say back in 2006, uh, using PowerPoint, you'd expect to be able to do everything in, in a program like PowerPoint or in Word or in Publisher. Does anyone use Publisher nowadays anyway? Or in Publisher. And you do everything within that. Um, whereas the idea of app smashing is that you do a little bit of content in one app you save it to the camera roll. You then take it from the camera. This is on an iPad. Although it's not, it's not iPad specific, but most of the examples are, are talking about use of iPads. Anyway, you create the content in one app. You save it to the camera roll. You then pull it from the camera roll into another app. You add another layer to whatever you're doing. You save that to the camera roll. You then you then pull it out to another app. And you can have very complex app smashes or very simple ones. So one example would be, uh, let's say um, you used an app like Pit Collage. 
and you put together um, your uh, images and some text. So, for example, you could, if you're doing, let's say, in languages, you're, you're doing something about, let's say, daily routine. So you could find some pictures of, of um, either real pictures of, of the children in your class pretending to wake up at a certain time or clean their teeth at a certain time, etc. Or you could just find web images or, or you could draw some images and add those uh, into Pic Collage as well using, let's say, another app such as Paper by 53. You would then make this background image. You'd save that to the camera roll. You could then lo uh, load another app, such as Telegami or My Talking Avatar Free, which is like an avatar creation app, which allows you to record your voice over the top. You then would add the pic collage as a background image, and then the character would then talk over the top, describing what's happening in the image. So in other words, you're combining um, the, those images with the, with the spoken voice. So that would be one example. That would be a simple example of an app smash. You could, if you wanted to, then take that video clip that you created, say that to the camera roll, and Im import that into something else, such as explain everything, and then etc. etc. So you can have very simple app smashes, and you can have very complex ones. And one of the risks of app smashing, I think, is you can get this obviously never happens to me, listeners, but you can get seduced by the technology and forget about the pedagogy or not completely but you know what I mean you can have too much of a priority on oh we've got to use 17 apps in this app I smash. guess it's like the 80-20 rule and if you spent like six hours and then you've <laughs> created yeah. something for two minutes of the lesson uh, yeah but it, if it has the impact then that's good exactly but, but I think again with anything to do with sort of early adopters with technology you get the enthusiasts who just want to try things out and make all those mistakes and what have you and then it sort of levels down into okay actually yeah Doing sem using 17 apps and app smash is great fun, but actually it's probably best to do it with sort of two or three. So I've done many presentations on, on app smashing, and it's something which I'm, as I said, really passionate about because I think that if you're talking about things like um, accessing higher-order thinking skills from the point of view of Bloom's taxonomy, app smashing is just a perfect way of doing that. Or the SAMR model, the SAMR by uh, Ruben Prentidura, the idea that um, you're trying to... Um, uh, modify or redefine the learning by using technology which would not be possible uh, sorry by using technology to create a task which would not be possible without the technology in, in order to enhance learning I think app smashing is a perfect way of practically facilitating um, redefinition or modification according to the, the summer model so yeah I just think it's fantastic and uh, lots of people I think um, that I've explained it app smashing to have got excited about it as well but I think um, what people are looking for are, are, are recipes or, or good sort of workflows to make app smashing work and, and again Greg um, has produced um, a, a book called um, iPad Ideas or I think it's iPad Ideas but if you, if you do a, um, a search for his name Greg Kulawick in the bookstore, iBookstore, then it will come up, and it's he's it's supposedly volume one. He's supposed to supposedly working on volume two at the moment. But if you're looking for practical suggestions on how to get started with that smashing, making things like uh, interactive posters, whereby you would create, let's say, a pic collage or something similar, or or a photo story, put it into say something like Explain Everything or um, Shadow Puppet Edu. You could then start recording, and then you could then move from frame to frame within the app and talk over the top so you're talking you're, you're turning a photo story into a speaking photo story with a narration with movement which is so that would be one example he's, he's done a tutorial on, on that but also um 
I was involved for, there's a, there were five or six shows called App Smash Live, which were great fun with um, that Mark Anderson hosted, mm. who I'm sure you know. And um, uh, I, I appeared on all the shows apart from one of them. That was great fun, uh, using Google Hangouts to bring together people from around the world who are also interested in app smashing and just basically demonstrating live um, different app smash examples. And uh, admittedly, some of those were maybe a little bit over complex, but nonetheless, they were still really, really good, I thought. So I, I demonstrated a few ideas uh, at that. And then that's now evolved into App Share Live, um, okay, which is less yeah. to do with app smashing. That yeah, which is also, I've been on a couple of shows on that as well. And I just think using the technology to bring people together, doing things which you couldn't do without the technology, is a, is a great use of it. So they've been great fun, yeah. So um, what are your thoughts on a simple exchange program if you're a uh, foreign language student? Um, I think there's been huge issues in relation to exchanges in the last few years because of the whole uh, vetting process and having CRB checks on parents in, in other countries because they just don't have the same mentality at all. Uh, in the UK, uh, we're absolutely obsessed by uh, e-safety and CRB checks and what have you. And, and the, the rulings now have made it very, very difficult to, um, to, to make exchanges work because of the fact that you've got these sorts of issues and, and parents and like you know I've just become a father about uh, I have a little boy now who's about eight, 19 months old and I'm very aware of you know obviously parents are very very concerned about the the safety of their children obviously but at the same time if you have parents saying well have all these parents that we're sending our children to have they all been CRB checked they just don't have that mentality in other countries they just don't but in, in here in, in the UK um, people um, have to have you know everything has to be so, which I'm not saying that's not an important thing, yeah. but there's but so in, in lots so of ways there's almost like the death of the exchange now because for, really? for those we, yeah and also but do you see not, yeah. it as important to have you know all of this technology and but still go and do the practice you know learning uh, yeah, yeah. I, obviously I think I think yeah. the technology is great but it's not a substitute for the real thing going to the country speaking the language meeting real people you just can't beat that that's amazing but the practicalities of yeah. putting that in place are, are are hard and the other thing which I've picked up again through the MFL Twitterati in discussions with with friends is that uh, it seems that um, in 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 um, in let's say France or Germany what have you that that it's quite easy or it seems to be easier for uh, to find families to host people from the UK but not the other way around there right. seems to be again a real uh, difficulty I know people have sort of said well I've got all places for the for for, for everyone in in you know in France or in Germany but I can't get enough host parents in uh, the UK. Um, to, to host you know a little boy from from Germany or France or what have you and I think that again that could be to do with the general let's say xenophobia that we see in the, in the national press constantly particularly with the whole Brexit thing now mm. and what have you of you know this anti-European feel or people are concerned about and I'm, I'm not saying the concerns aren't aren't valid but I think you, one could be over obsessed mm. by them and if it means the death of the exchange which I, I mean there are still schools which are doing exchanges but there are the impression I get is there are far fewer exchanges now that are happening. People are happy to sort of go to a hotel and what have you. And we, when I was when I was teaching, we we would do that ourselves. We would take the children to a hotel and, and do it like a visit. But exchanges are becoming more and more difficult. But yeah, it's it's an obvious thing to say. But actually going to the target um, uh, country, speaking the language with real people, that's how you really learn. I think you need you need the grammar, you need the 
the Duolingo and the Memrise and do all that sort of rigorous grammar practice, but you need to actually go to the country and speak, and that's how you, that's how you make the language memorable, and I think. It, and have, in your time um, teaching as well, have you seen a trend uh, towards a more variety of languages? So, for example, Mandarin and that kind of thing. And yeah, that's again, that's a really interesting point. Having having the, the luxury of being able to go to different countries, it's very interesting to see that essentially everyone is fighting the same corner for languages wherever it might be but in in England it tends to be the big three it tends to be uh, French then Spanish then German whereas when I first started teaching it was very much French then German then Spanish and Spanish has become more and more popular um, probably to do with you know holiday destinations and what have you and uh, I think Spanish has a certain cool about it as well um, uh, and lots of uh, lots of footballers um, for example for, um, in in Liverpool they've had uh, they had um, Torres, didn't they? And then they had uh, various other uh, Spanish players. And I think that I think having sort of football as a hook with with languages is is, is a really good idea. Um, um, but I think that in countries such as Australia or in places like uh, Southeast Asia, the range of languages that are taught is much bigger. So you, you'll have European languages. You'll have, let's say, in Australia, you'll have French as the most popular European language probably followed by either German or Italian. There's a big Italian community in Australia, so that's always popular. Hardly any Spanish at all. So I've been there, what, four, four times. I've met, the number of people I've met who teach Spanish, I count on one hand, I would say, which is really surprising compared to the UK. Um, and then you'd have the Orient, Oriental languages. You'd have uh, lots of Mandarin Chinese teachers, lots of Japanese teachers, um, Indonesian teachers in Australia as well. And you might have a bit of uh, uh, Korean, and on the European side, you might get a bit of Greek as well. So the range of languages is much wider. Mm. But um, the language awareness, I think, as a result of that, is probably arguably better. But I think, again, uh, in Australia, they've had similar... Well, they've had issues to do with... You have, like, sort of um, different strands, a bit like in Wales as well, when you have, like, L1 speakers and L2 speakers of Welsh. In Australia, you have... Mandarin Chinese classes when these speakers are all native speakers and then supposedly you have like the second type of classes when it's supposed to be second language Mandarin Chinese with um, uh, with, with, with people who have English as their first language but apparently I've heard through colleagues uh, or, or people that I've met in Australia that you get lots of people who are actually native speakers in the second band and that's in a way why it puts off people who are trying to learn um, Mandarin Chinese because they're f- because it's one it's very hard anyway it's supposedly four years of learning Mandarin Chinese is the, um, will be the same as learning one year of a European language because it's so opaque and, and difficult to get into but um, so there's, 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 there's challenges wherever you go in, in, in the States Spanish is very very popular as a foreign language in, when I've been to Actful as I've mentioned already um, the impression I get is a lot of, a lot of language teachers are Spanish um, um, teachers, as well as as well as French, but probably more Spanish than French. Um, so lots of things are geared in that way, um, and not so many um, on the on the um, on, on say Mandarin Chinese or Japanese. So according to each context, you get you get different uh, languages which are more popular, and a lot of that has to do with sort of his, um, history and geography, I suppose. But there has been a big push in the UK, particularly from. Um, from from David Cameron about yeah we must all do Mandarin Chinese etc and I think a lot of that has to do with because the Conservative government wants to make links business links with with China and it seems to be that every decade let's say there seems to be a certain language which is fl- flavor of the month probably for economic reasons so in the 90s it was more Japanese everyone should be learning Japanese mm. so 
Even which, which is like questionable now if you look at it from an economic point of view. Exactly, as well. so exactly, and things uh, have all changed. But in the nineties, mm. Japan were very much on the you know on the up economically speaking, mm. and yeah. So I, I think it's I think I can't see French not always being the the most taught language, but it's as I said, it's been interesting the way that Spanish has become the the, the second most popular one. But I, you know, there are schools that offer Mandarin Chinese and Japanese, but it's still very very niche. Um, I mean, in Scotland, there's been. Um, there's been a lot of investment uh, in the uh, Confucius classrooms. There's been a lot of investment from China into Scottish schools um, as a way of promoting Mandarin Chinese, and that's great. And I think that's I, I totally welcome that. But at the same time, um, we need to encourage all languages. All languages are important. And there was the, a few years ago there was this whole idea in, in the the, new, the way that the um, GCSEs were changing that there would only you, you'd ho- you'd be expected to study only let's say seven languages. And that was completely crazy, and I think that there were lots of teachers up in arms about it. And then they changed their mind, and, but that seems to be the, the present government in general. They just seem to be changing their mind left, right, and centre on lots of things to do with education. But let's not get political about this, folks. No, right. There we are. So, um, what have you got coming up in the next sort of coming weeks and months? If people want to catch up with you as well. Okay. Well, I'm planning on on a trip to Australia in uh, in July, and so I should hopefully should be going there for. Um, a week and a bit. I've also just recently had a talk at a um, uh, the uh, biennial conference in New Zealand called NZALT. Um, that was accepted, so officially I'm speaking at that. Although I've got to work out how to get there and what visa I need and all that. But anyway, um, so those so those are that's one big event. I'm also going to Switzerland um, in uh, June, start of June, at a place called Aglon College, which I've never been to before, and I'm really looking forward to that. And that all that all happened through Twitter. So there's a lady called Claire Shawcraft, who is the assistant head at the school, and um, uh, we've we connected with each other on Twitter. We had a few um, Twitter conversations. Um, I direct messaged her, said, "Oh, I don't suppose you'd be interested in inviting me to Switzerland." And basically, the, you know, the long the short of it is that's what that's what's happening. And a lot of the work I get in this country as well as abroad is through Twitter. So it's been an incredible vehicle for for helping me to to find work. So those are. Those are a few international things that, that I'm doing, but um, locally, let's let's see. Um, I'm going to the e-twinning conference in Nottingham in at the end of June, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and apart from that, um, I'm, I've got lots of sort of um, one-day events in individual schools. So a lot of the training that I'm doing at the moment is on um, iPads, how iPads can enhance language learning. But I'm also um, going into uh, sort of Google Ideas and Chromebooks. So at the ITEFL conference, I, did, I gave a 30-minute talk on how you could use certain Google tools to promote listening and speaking skills, and that was a videoed, and that's available on the ITEFL website, which is really nice. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm keeping busy. May is, is historically quite because um, people are doing GCSEs and things like that and revising and, and what have you. So that's, that tends to be quite quiet. So I'm working from home next week on... Um, the uh, primary French project, which I've is a, is an amalgamate, it's like a is a is a combination of um, association of language learning, uh, Institute uh, Institut Français, or French Institute, and um, Network for Languages. So there are uh, three different levels now: Niveau Bleu, Niveau uh, Blanc, and Niveau Rouge. And I'm working on Niveau Rouge, the ICT ideas to enhance the lessons that have been created by a lady called Catherine Cheetah, who's a primary languages specialist so she's created the lesson contents and I, I was commissioned to create um, ideas on how technology can enhance what she was doing in the lesson content so I'm working on that next week um, and yeah so so I'm just busy but just follow me on Twitter and you can find out exactly what I had for breakfast plus everything else to do with and, um, and, and uh, what, what is doing. your Twitter account as well <laughs> 
Okay, I'm very because I was um, very early in adopting Twitter. One. I've just gone for my name, so it's very, very so just my name, no numbers or anything. So it's just Joe Dale, all lowercase, which is just which is just great. I don't ha- I don't have to. I didn't. I decided not to go for a pseudonym. I decided to just go for my name. You could have a- ended up with sort of Angel ninety nine in, in at, the, at that time, so that's quite a good thing. Indeed, probably. <laughs> indeed. So I was very very happy with that, and I'm very happy with my eighteen thousand followers. And uh, and if, if if anyone would like to find out more about the MFL Twitter RT, if you go to the link um, tinyurl.com forward slash MFL Twitter RT guide, uh, then I've done a nine page PDF on how to get involved, what Twitter is, uh, the terminology behind Twitter, what a retweet means. Um, how to follow a list, how to create a list, how to subscribe. So if you want to find out anything about that, have a look at the guide. If you get stuck, just get in contact and uh, and I'm more than happy to help you out. That's fantastic. And um, I know that the show notes for this one are going to take quite a while. So thank you for such a a rich conversation and um, we'll catch up again next time. My pleasure. It's been great. Thank you. That's all for this week. Stay tuned next week for The Urban Teacher. And in the meantime... Check us out on Facebook, rate and review on iTunes and uh, see you next time. Bye.